been thinking about Moses. I had a feeling it was going to do that today. <laughs> Sorry. I had a feeling that table was going to do that today. I've been thinking about Moses this week. Moses, before all the good things happen, Moses before the burning bush, Moses before the exodus, Moses before the parting of the Red Sea, Moses before the fire on the mountain where the Lord came down and gave him the Ten Commandments, before he became a great leader of Israel, been thinking about Moses before all of that, thinking about Moses leaning on his staff, Stuck in the back end of nowhere, looking after Jethro's sheep. Thinking about Moses, the man on the run. Moses, the murderer on the lamb. Moses, the son of a slave woman. Thinking about Moses before God acts. Or before he can see God acting and moving in his life. Thinking about Moses in the wilderness. Forty years in the wilderness. Now our Bibles gloss over that part of Moses' life. In fact, those 40 years are summarized in four verses in our Bible. Years pass, it says in Exodus 2, verse 23. Years pass. And there's so much hurt and pain and disillusionment and doubt and fear and frustration and failure wrapped up in those two little words. 40 Years of that. And we just, we gloss right over it, right? We want to get to the Exodus and the good stories about the people leaving Israel. And the first, um, the first supper before we had communion. Except we're kind of in our own little wilderness right now, aren't we? We're kind of stuck in those 40 years ourselves. Collectively, the whole planet is on pause right now. We're waiting for life to begin again because, man, what we're in right now just doesn't really feel like life, does it? It it feels a bit like a wilderness. And where is a burning bush when you need one? And Peter's writing a letter to people who maybe feel the same way. These are, these are the first believers in, in northern, the northern part of Turkey, uh, Asia Minor in those days, the northern part of the peninsula, and they've accepted Jesus. They've let him change their lives, but they are in the minority, and Christianity has not yet taken off the way that they were hoping that it would, and they are still so badly outnumbered in their own community, so badly outnumbered in their own culture, they don't know what's going on. It doesn't feel like we're part of the greatest movement in human history. It doesn't feel like God is hearing our prayers and building his church. Build your kingdom here. Certainly doesn't feel like things are going to get better anytime soon. I mean, if anything, they're going to get worse. For these poor, beleaguered people, Christians in in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Bithynia, it does not feel like more and more of God's special favor and wonderful peace. It, It just doesn't. Feels a bit more like a wilderness. And where's a burning bush when you need one? So Peter starts off his letter and and he's praising God, right? And we know, 
Yeah, we know God is in control and that he's in charge of everything that's going on. And we would trust him with that even when we can't see or understand what he's up to. And, 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 he, and Peter starts speaking to all these beleaguered little Christians. And he starts pointing out the hope that they have. These strangers in a strange land to say, you've got something coming ahead of you that's just amazing. It's magnificent. Because of your faith in Jesus, there's wonderful joy ahead for you. Even if... For a little bit of time, it might be necessary for you to endure trials. But man, when you're stuck in the middle of the story, 40 years is a long time. Stuck in a wilderness with no burning bush in sight. This morning we're continuing in this letter that Peter wrote to these first Christians. It's found in the book of 1 Peter. So if you're new to all of this, you have your Bible. It's got a whole bunch of different books in it. And 1 Peter, that's not alphabetical. Sorry, I wish it were because that would make it so much easier. But 1 Peter is right near the back of your Bible. So you can flip to the back and you got Revelation and then John and, and James and, and Jude. And, and then you get into Peter right, right in there. And, and it's the first letter that Peter, the apostle, the guy that followed Jesus himself, the guy that walked on the water, you know, the guy, the guy that cut off Malchus's ear, that guy, he, he wrote this letter to these Christians. And, and yet this is not just a letter that, that Peter wrote to the first century Christians because this is God's word. This is living and active, the words and the heart of God. And so it speaks to us today. Bridgeway Community Church, February 2021. And so we're going to listen to God speak to us. And, and, and through his living word, he's going to shape our thoughts. And he's going to shape our lives. And he's, he's going to do something. He's going to reach out to you in whatever wilderness you're finding yourself in. And this morning, he's going to remind you that there is a burning bush. The word of the Lord, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and following. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. You must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better back then, but now you must be holy in everything you do just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. Remember, the, the heavenly father to whom you pray, he doesn't have favorites. He'll judge you or reward you according to what you have done. And so you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And this ransom was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. Now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you've come to trust in God, and you've placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Jesus from the dead and gave to him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth, and so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart, for you've been born again, not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life is going to last forever. Because it comes from the eternal living word of God. As scriptures say, people are like grass. 
Their beauty, it's like a flower in the field. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that was preached to you. That word is the good news that was preached to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, there's a few things that are going on in this passage. There's a couple of essential truths that I want to just hit your hearts with this morning. Some things that God wants you to know to be true. And then there's an elephant in the room. So we're going to deal with that at the end of the sermon. But for right now, there are four truths that you need to see in this passage. The first thing that I want you to see is that God wants children. God, the Heavenly Father, wants children. Now, there are some fathers or husbands here on earth that don't really want children, right? Uh, And that's okay, whatever you have to work out in your own relationship. But you want to know this. This is a truth that we know to be true about our God, is he wants a big family. He wants to be a dad. He wants children. We took a time to talk about this particular paragraph last week, so we're not going to spend a ton of time in it this morning. but, But just sometimes you forget that. When the, when the wilderness gets hot and dry, I know we're, we're dreaming about hot and dry right now because it's freezing cold right now, but the burning bush seems like a pipe dream, and you need to hear this. That's why when Rachel was picking out songs, the very last song that we sang before we got to our sermon was Good, Good Father, because God the Father said, I want you to sing that. I want my children to sing that reminder to themselves. That I love them, I chose them, I want them, I am a good, good father, and they need to remember that. You know, sometimes when I'm holding one of our foster babies, it just, it just breaks my heart to think that they're in our home because somebody doesn't want them. Because their mom or their dad or maybe both of them are in such a bad place that they, they can't even give these children the love that they deserve. And it just, it, 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 it hurts to think that. And I pray, Elaine and I pray for our foster babies, and we pray the same thing for our church, that you would know the love of God. That whatever else happens in your life, wherever you go, whoever rejects you and whoever accepts you, that you would know God, your heavenly Father, loves you. He loves you. And that's what we're praying for our foster babies. The brokenness that they have ahead of them is tough But God loves them. And if you're in a tough place in your life right now, if you're going through some rejection of your own, you need to hear that. Your Heavenly Father loves you. He loves you. He chooses you. He's reaching out to you. If you like underlining things in your Bible, go ahead and underline that part that says, you must live like obedient children. And if you're getting hung up on the obedient part, remember this. I mean, I'm not a perfect dad by any shape of the imagination, but I love my kids, and their behavior never is, is, affects my love for them. Never. I like it more when they're obedient, yes, but they're always my children. And that's how God the Father feels about you. You are his child. And so you just got to remember that sometimes. God wants children. He wants you to be one of them. Second truth that we see in this passage is that Christ is the only way. 
There is a new birth, and the only way to that new birth is through Jesus Christ. Through Christ, it says, you've come to know God. Last week, Pastor Darren, as he was closing the service, he talked about Jesus having this meeting in the middle of the night with a guy named Nicodemus. You probably remember that. It's famous. It's John 3. If you're going to watch the football game later today, you're going to see John 3.16 somewhere in the stands. There may only be 30 people in the stands. One of them is going to be holding up John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. But that passage in John 3 also talks about being born again. A new birth. And Nicodemus doesn't really get it, and sometimes you and I don't get it, but here's what you need to know. That new birth only comes through Jesus. Our world tries to tell us that there's many paths up the same mountain, that religion is all equivalent, whether you're Buddhist or Muslim or Catholic or Mormon, but that is not what our Bibles say. Why are Christians so exclusive? Well, we try to be accepting of different people, but... God himself has said, there's only one way to me. There's only one way to this new birth into my family, and it's through Jesus Christ, God's only begotten son. There isn't multiple ways. There's just one. Verse 18, God paid a ransom to save you. He didn't pay several different kinds of ransoms, just one, Jesus. Verse 19, it was through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. He died for you. Buddha didn't die for you. Joseph Smith didn't die for you. Only Jesus did that. There's only one way. Verse 20, God chose him to be your ransom. You see how exclusive this is? God is saying there is only one way to become his child, and that is through his son, Jesus. There's only one way. In John 14, Jesus says it really clearly himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life, me. No one can come to the Father except through me. And this verse gives me a little bit of consternation, to be honest with you. And it's not because the world thinks that Christians are judgmental. we got bigger problems than that. (laughs) See, what, what makes me lie awake at night is thinking about my own life and thinking about how if this is true, and it is, and how come I don't share it more? How come I'm so quiet? Well, what causes me consternation is looking at the church of Jesus and thinking, we have the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and all too often we are quiet, we are silent. It's like we know first aid, and we drive by the accident where we can see someone bleeding on the side of the road, and we just keep driving. It it tears me up inside. We simply don't preach Jesus enough. What upsets me and unsettles me is the fact that, that you don't speak this truth often enough in your world. You don't. Oh, well, I live like a Christian, so people are going to see the gospel in how I act. Speak. Share the good news of salvation. That's what the world needs to hear. Stop keeping it to yourself. My friends, the only way to this new birth in Jesus is through Jesus. So let's not keep that message to ourselves. Let's, let's share it. So God, our Heavenly Father, wants to have children. He wants us to have this new birth. Second of all, the only way to have this new birth is through Jesus Christ. Thirdly, the proof, the mark of this new birth, of the, the, the reality that shows that it's true, 
is our love for each other. You were cleansed from your sin when you obeyed the truth, so now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. Love. How are you doing at loving your brother, your sister? How are you doing it at loving your neighbor? I mean, it's COVID, right? So I don't even have to talk to them anymore. Uh, that's just as well because, you know, his stupid tree grows onto my yard and I have to rake up his leaves. How, how good are you at loving your neighbor? How good are you at loving your enemy? How good are you at that? I remember one time there was this preacher, I think it was Tim Syme, and he preached in, in my home church, and, and, and he, he started with this illustration. He made this observation. He says, the world knows two things to be true about the church. There are two things that the world knows to be true about those of us who follow Jesus. Number one, Christians are supposed to be loving, and number two, we're not. We're not. We just, it's crazy how few Christians understand that the greatest witness that we have to Jesus is our love for brothers and sisters in Christ. And the biggest turnoff that the world has, the the biggest thing that irritates them about the church is the fact that we don't love each other. We, We can't even love each other, let alone love the world. I had this lady show up in my office a few years back. She was all upset because a relative of hers had started to attend the church. And as pastor, I needed to know all about this relative of hers. I, I needed to know what a sinner this person was, how terrible their actions were. Why, did you know that this person was divorced? <gasps> Horrors! In my former town, my church was known as the divorce church because apparently we taught there is forgiveness after all sins. Crazy part was this lady sitting in my office, sitting in judgment over her sister in Christ, was herself divorced. Just bizarre. But oh, her divorce was justified and the other person's was not. And... What this lady didn't know was I was actually good friends with this other person. We had met and we'd become friends through other means than the church. And and I'd actually walked this person and been part of the council in this person's life and and helped them come to terms with the brokenness in their past and and helped them see that there was a future in Jesus. I I had done that and, and I saw a genuine heart for God in this person underneath all of the messiness of their life. So I encourage this lady in my office, this is your opportunity to love your sister. This is your opportunity to to go to her, to speak with her over coffee, to to talk about it, to to make amends, to, to stop judging her relative for sins that Jesus had already forgiven. To just love deeply with all of her heart. But she couldn't do it. She couldn't or wouldn't 
do it. She came back into my office a week later and she had all the reasons lined up why it was okay for her to disobey God, why she was justified in her judgment, why she didn't have to love this other person. And as she left my office, I mean, I, I did my level best to point to her scripture and she just, she was, she was determined. And as she left my office, I remember thinking to myself, that lady, she's going to shipwreck her own life because she refuses to love someone. Broke my heart. My friends, Jesus himself said it. He said, I'm giving you a new command. Love each other. Like there's ten commandments that Moses got on the mountain. Don't even worry about them. Because even if you follow all ten of them perfectly, if you're not following this one, you've missed the mark. I'm giving you a new command. Love each other. Just as I have loved you. How did Jesus love us? He died for us. Just as I have loved you, that's how you should love each other. Your love for one another is going to prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so I ask you, if your love for another person in this church is proof of your faith, then isn't your lack of love proof of a lack of faith? Love one another. Love one another. The last truth that I want to point out to you is that this true birth, <laughs> it's unshakable. It lasts forever. It's just this amazing thing. It goes on and on and on and, and on and on. Your new life will last forever, verse 23. What you have in Jesus is so much better than your earthly family with all its messy maladies and disturbing dysfunctions. And don't get me wrong here. You are supposed to love your earthly family. You are supposed to love your mom and dad. You're supposed to honor your parents. Last week we talked about disobedient children. And man, it's hard on mom and dad when brothers and sisters are fighting. Can't you just get along? Right? We all want that great family photo of everyone happy and smiling and the Christmas holidays that we can send to all of our friends and pretend that our family's amazing. But as Christians, we also need to have a proper perspective about our earthly families. You see, as important as they are, they simply do not come close to what we have in Jesus Christ. In fact, Christ himself said it. If you don't hate your mother your father, your brother, your sister, you cannot be my disciple. I said that in the book of Luke. I'm not sure exactly where. And that's just, wow. I had another pastor in his church, and he said, the biggest false idol in my church is family. People will use their family as an excuse to get out of and to avoid all sorts of other things in church. We are adopted through Jesus Christ into God's heavenly family. That's what matters. And, and this adoption, this new birth, this true birth that we have in God's forever family, it's going to last forever. Uh, some of you might be thankful, thinking to yourself, oh, my brothers, <laughs> oh man, I, I had an older brother, and boy, you know, it's tough to get along with him. It's kind of nice to know in heaven that we're not going to be brothers. We're just going to be brothers in Christ, so we'll still have to figure that out, but my goodness. You've been born again, 
not to a life that's going to quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. And as the scriptures say, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in a field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And that word is the good news that's been preached to you. So those are kind of the four things that I, I felt God wanted to bring home to you today. Just those, those four truths. Now there's a lot more in this passage than these four simple ideas. There's all sorts of things in this passage that I was chewing on this week. I didn't get to talk about eternal bibliology in, in verse 24. I didn't get to talk about lamb Christology in verse 19. I didn't, didn't get to talk about ransom soteriology. Eight different kinds of salvation that God offers to us through Jesus Christ in verse 20. One of the hardest things about preaching is figuring out what not to say in a congregation in half an hour or less. But there's an elephant in the room. And I mentioned it earlier in my sermon, and I've been chewing on this all week. It's been haunting me. Because this idea that God, our Heavenly Father, wants us to be part of his family, it was just, it was so insistently relentless to me that that I felt like I needed to preach that. But there was one part of this passage that didn't seem to fit, and I was chewing on that, and I was asking God, "Am am I really listening to you? Because I'm not sure how to get this last part of Scripture to fit within the sermon that I feel like I want you to speak, or or that I feel like you want to speak through me. And it's this little phrase. So you must live in reverent fear of him. Phobos. Fear. Fear is an interesting word. How does it fit in with that idea that God your Father loves you and wants you? How does fear fit into that? How does it fit into this idea that Jesus Christ is the only way to this new birth? How does Fear of the Lord fit into that. How does this fear of the Lord fit into this challenge that we have that we need to love one another as brothers and sisters? That's the proof of our true birth. How does fear of the Lord fit into that? And, and how does the fear of the Lord fit into forever with him? Am I going to be forever trembling? Like how do I live in reverent fear of my heavenly father? I'm going to tell you a bit of a story to close off, but I'm going to leave this open-ended for you. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit ask you this question, force you to chew on this this week. How do I live in reverent fear of my Heavenly Father? So this is my dad, Douglas Thomas Kempinski. When I was a kid, I thought he was the king of the world. Oh, he was so strong. We would go to the beach, and I'd be like wading along the edge. I couldn't swim to save my life. And, and he would just go trucking out into the middle of the lake. He'd swim to the point and back. It was like four miles or something. He could swim like nobody's business. We'd feed the horses, and I'd be wrestling with one of those square bales of hay, 45 pounds or whatever it was, and uh, it was winning the battle. My dad would reach over and grab both the, t- the strings with one hand and throw it over the fence to the horses. It was just, I was so in awe of my dad. One time on the, as we were driving, he challenged another guy to a fight on the side of the road. Just stepped back from the guy's truck and invited him out of the truck. There was no way that guy was getting out of the truck to fight my dad. And this was on the way home from church one Sunday. So that was awesome. My dad was not perfect. 
definitely not perfect, but man, he loved Jesus. He loved the Lord, and I had this weird sense of juxtaposition of feelings about my dad, because I, I loved him, but I feared him, especially when he lost his temper. <laughs> if I had done something wrong, oh my goodness, I was afraid. I loved him, and I was afraid of him. And it really, it's a challenge because God took him home to heaven when I was 22. Three weeks before Elaine and I got married. And I was just getting to that point where I was getting to know him person to person. Like young man to, to, to man. Like friend to friend. And, and then he was gone. But I think about my dad a lot, and I think about those two things. Because they never felt like they were in opposition to each other. I loved him, and I feared him. And that was just, that was just the right thing to do. So here's some things that you know are true. Peter affirms them for you in Scripture. God, your heavenly Father, loves you. He chooses you. He wants to adopt you into his family. New birth. He wants to do that through Jesus. It's the only way to get there is through Jesus. God the Father wants you to show that this birth has happened in you, the proof of it, this this true birth by your love for one another. And he wants to remind you today that this true birth lasts forever. And because all of that is true, God says this, you must learn how to live in reverent fear of me. You love him, you have to learn how to fear him. The burning bush intrigues you. It attracts you. It reminds you that you are loved. But the burning bush is also powerful and dangerous. And Hebrews says our God is a consuming fire. You love him. He loves you. Now you have to learn how to fear him. God's word for your week. Pastor Darren. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for your brothers, Love one another deeply, deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. All men, they're like grass. And all their glory, it's like flowers in the field. It withers and falls. But God's word, it's eternal. That word, it was preached to you. That word is life. John chapter 1, he came into the world as light and life. That lasts forever. And in John 12, it says many of the leaders of the Jews began to fear and believe in Jesus. But they were afraid of the Pharisees. They were afraid about being pushed out of the synagogue. They were afraid. So they didn't acknowledge him. In the very next chapter, Jesus is getting arrested and getting prepared to die. We live in fear. We live in fear all the time. 
but we're filled with a spirit that lasts forever. So you can live in fear and yet not be afraid. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this morning. I want to thank you for the power of your word. I want to thank you, Lord, for the call to holiness. I want to thank you for the life that you brought through your son, Jesus, and that your spirit has filled us with that same life. Thank you, Lord, for the living hope that we have, for the second chance. And now the call to action to surrender our lives, to hold our lives with an open hand and offer it to you and say, Lord, what do you have for me this week? Who do I need to uh, be in the presence of? Who do I need to influence? Who do I need to love this week? And how, Lord, can I make your glory known wherever you have me? How can I live, Lord, in a way that honors you, in a way that shows fear for who you are, the holiness of who you are, the size, the, the glory, the weight of who you are? Lord, reveal that in your church. Call us to action. Spur our hearts on, Lord, to love and good deeds. Thank you for your goodness towards us that we don't deserve. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.
garbage? It's a present from the kids, Muffy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh sure, nice try. <laughs> I know your ploy. Rachel and she never <laughs> she never answers. I'm like, well, step two, Brian. That's exactly right. <laughs> <clears throat> Nick, could you say hi to your dear wife for me? Thank you. If you remember. He says that to her anyway. And uh, everybody says hi. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So this is this is specific from Leanne. Oh, where'd you draw? Okay, Brian, I've got another thing. I lose patience and stuff like that. No. <laughs> no, I can't. Oh, I thought you said you couldn't get it off. I'm I like, said I can't get it on. Really My patience is like... <laughs> is it just me? Well, it's just when you push down, this little tab gets the uh, body. I think. So... Okay, well, that's a wrap. That's a wrap, folks. That's a wrap. If you want to leave right away, then we'll just make it the next one. Yeah, I think we'll do it. I'm not that important. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I have to wait for someone to stand to pick me up. I, I thought I saw it. Yeah, he just told me that he said, I don't want you to get so cold. Oh, yeah.